0: Hello there, and welcome to Defiance. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I have an interview with William Yang, a Southeast Asia correspondent for DW News, to discuss the coronavirus outbreak and the allegations that the Chinese Communist Party is withholding information about the severity of the virus from the outside world. Now, listen, this is a common thread with most of the topics I research the navigating of information or disinformation does always prove to be problematic. There are rumors, conjecture, whether it's news sources or on social media. So it's always difficult to navigate this and find the truth, especially when we know that governments have a history of using news as propaganda. So it's always a challenging subject, but obviously this is a subject that's very interesting to people at the moment because you know it's obviously quite concerning, especially as the virus spreads and the death toll increases. So the World Health Organization has declared this now a global public health emergency and the virus has spread to 26 countries infecting a suspected and this is reported number of over 14,000 people and with over 300 deaths and the WHO has only ever made such a declaration five times in their 71 year history so obviously news is very important the accuracy of news is very important One of the reasons that the accuracy of the news is so important is that this affects all of us, but also the analysis of the spread of the virus may be based on incorrect information. There are certain news sources that are claiming that the potential number of deaths may be much higher, and I've added links to that into the show notes. But before we get into that interview, I do also just need to thank my sponsor Kraken, the best place to buy Bitcoin, consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange. Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin. Are you a Bitcoiner? Thank <laughs> you. If not, and you would like to learn more about Bitcoin, then please check out my other show, What Bitcoin Did, which Kraken also sponsors. And I also have a beginner's guide on there which can help you understand everything related to Bitcoin if you're new to it. Bitcoin is a decentralized peer-to-peer digital currency without any central authority. By not having a controlling party required to validate transactions, Bitcoin is both trustless and permissionless. It is also an opt-out of government fuckery. And as Edward Snowden said, Bitcoin is freedom. If you want to find out more, head over to kraken.com. Also, if you enjoy Defiance and want to support the show, please do leave me a review on iTunes and subscribe to the show. Follow me on social media and share this out with your friends and family. If you do have any questions about this or any of my other shows, please do feel free to email me. My email address is peter at defiance.news. The reason why we fight is to draw attention to issues and to fix it.
1: Resilient. Resolute defiant in the face of impossible odds.
0: We are in the beginning of a mass extinction and all you can talk about is money. money. Hundreds of protesters turned out singing glory to Hong Kong, an anthem of defiance. Good morning from here, William, but it's afternoon for you out there in Taipei, right? Yes. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. So, we're going to talk about coronavirus, obviously something everyone is interested in and I think has a certain level of fear about i I imagine the fear is much worse out in China, but you know we are seeing uh, infection rates grow across the world so I've got a whole bunch of things I want to ask you about, but I think a starting point is just introduce yourself to my listeners, explain who you are, who you work for, and why you have taken such a deep interest in this and so much focus on this recently. So
1: my name is William Young, and I'm a East Asia correspondent for Germany's international broadcaster Deutsche Welle, and I'm based in Taipei, Taiwan. And I cover mostly the big events happening in China, Hong Kong, uh, Macau, Taiwan, sometimes in Japan and South Korea, Singapore, for my daily, everyday work. But I also write about the region uh, for other big media outlets, including The Guardian, The Independent, Batsby News, and Quartz. So the reason why I'm taking a very deep dive into this issue, basically tweeting about it, following the the worldwide development of this epidemic is because of the fact that uh, in 2002 and 2003, when I actually first moved back to Taiwan from the US at the time, when I was a teenager, the SARS epidemic was, uh, hit Taiwan really hard. And that left a very deep memory in my life and also in everyone's life here in Taiwan. So when the epidemic in Wuhan first broke out and the transmission start to spread across China, people here in Taiwan are including myself are very aware of the potential risk and the damage that the epidemic could uh, create for people here because we know a the fact that I, I guess, like a uh, illness or mass scale virus events uh, in China, oftentimes can easily spill over to Taiwan because we have such a, a Thai connection and also a very deep interaction with China on a daily basis. And uh, the second reason is because of the challenges that Taiwan kept facing by being excluded from most of the international events, like the uh, World Health Organization. So we are very uh, last time during the SARS epidemic. Taiwan was not able to receive any first-hand information until much later on, and that really created a lot more challenges when the epidemic started to spread out here in Taiwan. So this time around, the government and also the society here are taking a very serious precaution when uh, events and cases start to pop up in China. Uh, we took pre preventative measures weeks before the whole world started to become more serious about how to fight against the spread of the virus and also how to track the virus development. So that's one of the other reason why I think for someone like me, you know, coming from the background and the history that we had in Taiwan, it's very relevant for me to keep tracking this, the development of this at a global scale.
0: So Taiwan's exclusion from the WHO, is that related to the current political status of Taiwan?
1: Yes. So basically that's under China's insistence that Taiwan can only join the WHO if the government here acknowledge that Taiwan is part of China. So basically it's China asking the Taiwanese government, uh, if you want to become part of the WHO and share the first-hand information right away, you need to bow to me and you know basically announce that the government here is illegitimate, and the only legitimate government that governs both China and Taiwan is the government in Beijing. And obviously, that is not going to work for either the government here or the people here, as we have seeing very clearly that Taiwanese people now are very determined to participate in global events as Taiwan rather than as part of China.
0: Okay, so just a couple of things, because I think not everyone will be fully aware of the dynamics of the relationship between Taiwan and China. But also, interestingly, I would have thought the WHO would have been an apolitical organization. Is that not true?
1: Yeah, I think that's where the gray zone comes in. You know, They play by the rule that internationally there is only one China. And unfortunately, because Ty- Taiwan's official country name is Republic of China. So that's where the confusion comes in. And if we present ourselves as the Republic of China, then obviously the only China that will be recognized around the world, no matter if it's political related events or not, the only legitimate government that will only be recognized by the international community will always be the government in beijing so that you know like leaves a very awkward position for taiwan to uh, come up with a very smart way of participating uh, you know in global events around the world and like as we have seen even though we you know organizations like who kept uh, emphasizing that they're apolitical but the reality is that whenever they categorize Taiwan's cases, including the death tolls and also the uh, number of infection into part of China, then the event naturally become political because in reality, I think everyone around the world know that Taiwan is a functioning democracy that has its own government, its own currency, its own constitution and everything. So that's when everything naturally become political, even if they don't want to uh, you know, very obviously mention or distinguish or hit on or touch on the issue of how do they categorize Taiwan or what's Taiwan's status.
0: Right. Okay. Final question on this. What is the dynamics of the relationship between China and Taiwan now? Obviously, the people of Taiwan, as you said, have a function in democracy, your own currency, your own government. But what real influence does China hold over Taiwan right now, if any? so
1: china has a lot of leverage and say over the trading that we, we, with a lot of the major industries here in taiwan because china remains one of uh, the biggest uh, trading partner for time most of taiwan's most lucrative industries and so that's where it ha- still has a huge impact on having you know a say or influence over taiwan but politically the current government has been in office for four years now, and they are from a position where they want Taiwan to remain its sovereignty and uh, try to resist as much as they can against China's attempt of annexation or even trying to include Taiwan into part of China. So the Government's stance, which is very firm, creates a very difficult uh, position for any sort of high level government to government conversation to happen. Also, under Xi Jinping, who also took a very firm uh, stance on the fact that the only thing that he can accept is Taiwan eventually become part of China. And he will do whatever he can to make that happen during his lifetime. That's what he has made it really clear over the last two years
0: i guess one of the difficulties there though will be in some ways very similar to hong kong is that the people are enjoying right. a, lo- a lot of freedom you know you're enjoying a democracy right. Right. you i can't see in any situation where there would be a democratic vote for the people to for taiwan to be ruled exclusively by china
1: right exactly so and then you know obviously the ongoing protests in hong kong is deter- uh, strengthening people's determination to continue to maintain the way of life as much as they can, even if China has been using different ways to try to sway or ooh people over, you know that China is actually going to it, becoming part of China is actually going to be better for Taiwan. But that uh, cause or that call is just not very convincing anymore.
0: No. Okay. So looping back to the coronavirus. And would you say it's fair to say that you have, uh, I mean, you might have more than two interests, but I I would say your two primary interests is one is high quality information for the people of Taiwan. But secondly, kind of a sub point to that is trying to wade through the misinformation, or potentially looking into whether there is information that's being withheld.
1: Right, exactly. So I think because of the fact that to be honest like the information that the international community are relying on right now are mostly information that china is willing to reveal but a lot of the you know more detailed or hidden information are oftentimes either hidden in the very local news media reports or even just through online discussions on social media platforms and these information oftentimes require the understanding about a China's political overall political landscape and also the Communist Party's political tendency of controlling information of flow and B. It also requires actually a connection to uh, I I think understanding about which media outlets in China are offering more uh, authentic and more uh, like realistic reflection of what's really happening uh, in Wuhan and across China. So I think that's where I come in as having the advantage of uh, having lived in China before, having covered China for several years now. And I I understand the language and I have connections to uh, local sources in Wuhan. So these are really something that I think as a regional correspondent for an international media and then also a certain presence on Twitter uh, where actually a lot of the international community are getting most of their firsthand information from And I believe that my role can actually help to really spread timely information for everyone around the world to stay on top of it. And I also understand that it's probably also very hard for just one news organization to be able to offer information about the virus and the epidemic uh, from different parts of the world. So that's also why I kept this habit of like doing the daily uh, updates on twitter i probably update about five or six times a day and uh, always like offer hopefully not only the situation in china but also new cases that are popping up around the world including travel bans that are being announced in different parts of the world because i think that's also going to have an impact on not only china but also just you know the 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 the, uh, in general the world's interaction overall because You know, when when a lot of the times, like what we see in the U.S. and Australia, they are banning any foreign nationals, not just Chinese nationals, who have spent time or even transited in China over the last few days. Then that creates a huge havoc for, you know, everyone who are either planning their trips or they already planned their trips and they're unfortunately flying through China. And what do they do now? So I think that's very important for the world to really stay on top of that.
0: Okay, so yeah, one of the things we need to be clear about, and it's something that affects a lot of the work I do, is the flow of information slash disinformation. You know, um, right. whether I, I was out in Bolivia recently, and I was looking into the political unrest there relating to Evo Morales. You know, more recently, I've been looking at the Ukrainian downing of the jet in Iran. Initially, there was a lot of disinformation there as well. So the information you are being provided with, we should be clear from the start, these are coming from sources. You know, It's not that you can 100% corroborate everything you're saying. So, you know, how do we balance that these are uh, uh, sources with, you know, trying to hold some kind of credibility to how factual this is?
1: So, I would say probably 80 to 85% of the information right now that I'm tweeting every day are based on uh, official news release either from Chinese uh, media or from other media around the world that, uh, you know, it's in terms of the, like the updates, like including okay. the death tolls and also new cases being confirmed. So that's probably counted as like 80 to 85% of the information that I release every day on Twitter. I I, I think the only reason why I'm probably being mentioned or follow a little bit more is because I keep on stay on top of it at the global scale. I tweet about any whenever any part of the world has a new case, I tweet about it and I, I strain it into a very coordinated way so that if it's a threat that's only about new cases popping up around the world, I, I, I dedicate that threat to that purpose. But if it's about new information that are being released in China, like let's say the new findings about the virus that they released, then I only dedicate that particular threat to that purpose. So I want the, you know, whoever that's following me to be able to very easily uh, only find the information that they want or need. Uh, for specific purposes. But at the same time, my conversation with the local sources, what I do is I tend to not only talk to them uh, and only share whatever that they share with me, I also see if they can share actual photos or videos of what they were describing. So there are actually proof that, you know, these are happening. And that's how I corroborate most of the authenticity of the information, the credibility of the information. And unless it's, Also, uh, I see a repetition of, yes, this is similar among several sources. Then I reveal it to the whole, you know, like my Twitter followers and out there, because I think if you see a pattern, then that probably just reflects the reality on the ground.
0: Yeah, so I've been through your tweets. It's a very good source. You seem to have avoided a lot of the... There's some kind of strange conjecture and conspiracy theory stuff out there, which you seem to have avoided, which is very good, which is good for me. Uh, One question I have is... Just help me understand how much influence the uh, Chinese state has over the press in China. Do journalists have a fear of releasing certain information, or is it a case of they will release information and they may receive some kind of pressure? Like, what is the journalistic process? So,
1: in uh, usually China, since Xi Jinping took office, uh, the the government's control over the information flow and release has been much tighter than before. And normally uh, on very sensitive topics like the Xinjiang re-education camps or the Hong Kong protests, there are very strict rules that journalists have to follow uh, whenever they're reporting or writing about it. There's a very specific perspective or narrative that they can only use. Anything that's, you know, like deviate from that particular narrative would be considered as, you know, a, unlawful and then uh, oftentimes these journalists would these articles would be taken off the website or online and then uh, The news organization or the particular journalists would either face Pressure from local officials or even from the central government But the interesting thing about this coronavirus in the I think in the very beginning when everything is very unclear The government tried to contain the full extent of the information by calming the society and claiming that the virus is curable and also containable that's the first uh, official rhetoric that we saw and read in the local uh, official media but then when you know the, the 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 infection rate and also the transmission really got out of control then they uh, came out and then admit that there are possibility of human to human transmission. And when that happens, they kind of like losing the original tight grip that they have over the overall reporting about the situation in Wuhan and also around the country. So we see some uh, particular Chinese media, like Caixin media is one of those that are really staying on top of the what's happening and from reporting about it from different perspectives. And I think that's very helpful. But also that just shows like at very critical times when the Chinese government actually want the world to know a lot more and seeking help from the international community, they are willing to like losing up the tight grip that they normally have over the information flow in the country. But once they, you know, receive the certain amount of the support that they need from the international community then that then suddenly that flexibility would just disappear again because of the fact that they have you know uh, satisfied their needs and also the support that they need so they no longer need to uh, maintain that space for the media so what most of the time the local media and journalists have to do is they need to be very adaptable to the government's sudden change of decision and sudden change of plan. And that's just the reality here in China. Well, in China, when, whenever it's when it comes to like reporting about breaking news or major events.
0: Well, yeah, so there almost feels like there's a correlation between the containment of the virus and the containment of the uh, news relating to the virus. I, I can see an almost pattern there but I guess that gets to a point where uh, we would use a term say it's got out of hand the, the you know the spread of the virus right. is now at risk it's a global risk and actually China probably needs support from the international community
1: right but at the same time one another one other thing that's very interesting is that we can see uh, the types of information being released uh, at you know and categorize it by stages so in the beginning when they like dec- desperately need the international community to really treat it as a very serious issue. They would kept emphasizing on the the, the the number of new cases and everything, and also the number of death tolls and how serious it is being spread to different parts of the country. But now, once they... Got some type of control over the epidemic. They st- what they have been doing over the last few days is they started highlighting their type of way to respond to and, and to, to counter the spread of the virus by emphasizing that China is now building multiple makeshift hospitals that are going to be dedicated to treating coronavirus patients, and also the number of the people who have recovered. They emphasize a lot about these cases over the last few days because then they want. Uh, to recreate that more positive image about what China is doing to combat this and then also sharing the so-called China experience with the world that you know they are the successful case case study for fighting a very unprecedented and very threatening uh, global public health crisis
0: okay there is precedent here with SARS and the transparency around what was happening right
1: Yeah. They have definitely done a much better job in terms of being uh, transparent about the overall information, you know, including the ex- some, to some extent the severity of the infection and also the transmission. And they no longer withheld these very key information in terms of like, you know, like it re- when it comes to like the f- uh, scientific facts about the virus that the world hasn't really Known about, then they release them much earlier than SARS because during the SARS epidemic, they withheld all a, everything basically uh, for months before it started spreading to Hong Kong, to Taiwan, and then when it. Became a global regional thing here in Asia, then they admit that, you know, yeah, it actually started months ago. But this time around, I think it also has to do with the fact that the maturity of social media and uh, the the internet over the last two decades actually uh, improved a lot. So that allows information flow to become a lot easier. So they also understand, I think, that, you know, at this day and age, uh, they just cannot use the same way that they contain the uh, control the information flow as before.
0: Okay, so based on what you've been reporting, based on what you've been seeing, what are the areas of information you don't believe that we are receiving? So I noted one source, which I think you were then you were included in, which stated that the actual death toll figures might not be correct based on discussions with people working at the crematoriums.
1: Right. So basically that starting point is that I saw a lot of posts on the Chinese social media Weibo about uh, actual family members of uh, the patients sharing how their families are, you know, like being left in the hospital for days without being diagnosed or being treated or seen by the doctor. And then when their situation or their symptoms quickly deteriorated and some of the more senior and elderly patients then died from their complications. And once they were dead, then the hospital would just immediately call the family members and urge them to immediately arrange the cremation centers to send the staff over and take the dead body uh, to the cremation center directly and then have it, you know, cremated and then uh, just like basically close off this potential case uh, without proper doctor's diagnosis and also going through the, you know, medical like examination, nothing of that ever happened. And then uh, this, Chinese uh, language media called Inithiam News. It's actually one of the most reputable uh, ch- like news outlets in the uh, Chinese-speaking world. They are the constant winners of like big journalism awards here, and also they're very known for their investigative reporting. They then came out with an article titled called "The Death Toes Outside of the Confirmed List." So, of course, then you know this very much confirms a lot of these so-called social media sh- sharings that these are not just people who are ve- vengeant who 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 held grudges against the government like these are actual situations and they interview staff Uh, at local cremation centers in Wuhan. And what the staff told them is that every day, basically they would handle 30 to 60 such cases where the dead bodies were just immediately directly sent to the cremation centers from the hospital once they were dead. It's not, you know, like usually you would do autopsy or like you have, and then on on these like death certificates, sometimes like these dead bodies don't even come with the certificate explaining what caused the death. And you know they, these are just bodies being sent over, and then uh, they were ordered to like cremate it immediately. So that basically confirms the fact that a lot of the actual deaths happened in Wuhan, and also in the in China, probably o- across in maybe other provinces, were not being properly reported because there was just no such mechanism to record and also. Uh, leave a record of these every single death in every single patient. And why I also believe that this this should be backed up is the fact that the overloading, the level of overload at local hospitals, including people who actually have been to the hospital and were just sent home because the medical staff just have no time for them. And the Q, the long queue that people have to wait in line even to just get into the hospital was just explaining how dire and severe of the shortage of the human resource over in Wuhan in Hubei province right now so you know when the doctors can't even handle the living cases how can we expect that you know they have someone dedicated to record every single death in a very thorough way so i can totally I I totally think that this whole chain of effect would create the fact that the number of death toll in reality would be much higher than the 304 that we're seeing right now. Because also of the fact that people also think that the number of infected cases are much higher than what we are actually seeing right now.
0: Well, yes, because we have the infected number, which is just over 14,000, but we also occasionally see the suspected cases number, which is always much higher. Yeah. do we have any estimates on what the real death toll might be, or would that be too much conjecture?
1: Uh, so I've talked to medical experts in China and also what they say is like it's almost impossible for them to really measure the you know the actual death toll, comparing to what's being released right now, because of the fact that again a lot of these cases probably like uh, you know slip through the the loopholes even without anyone noticing or knowing and like uh, for them to having to like go back and collect, you know, looking through the medical records, a lot of the times, again, uh, maybe these people never were on the records. So for them, it's mo- almost like impossible to really uh, estimate what would be the actual number, but what they're saying, it's like, it's definitely t- much like a c- couple times more than the current number that we're seeing right now.
0: Okay, so what is the what is the state now in Wuhan right now in Hubei? Because yeah, you know, a lot of this we have to based on what we see in the news and on Twitter. The the things that I've seen that are slightly concerning for me are that I saw a video in a hospital shortly after one of the doctors who was treating people had died, and I can only describe it as a scene of chaos. I've seen videos of people collapsed on the street and I can't verify them, but that seems to be a, a situation where people are just dropping sick, dropping dead. I'm assuming that there is just nowhere near enough staff to actually cope with the number of infections and the number of the cases coming in. Like how how challenging and how desperate is the situation right now in Wuhan and Hubei?
1: So when the lockdown was first introduced in, in mid January, uh, in the beginning, people were panicking about like what would actually like how long the lockdown would be enforced and everything. So even everyday fresh produce were immediately in shortage, and that was the immediate reaction. But then once the government uh, resupplied the uh, everyday produce, then the more concerning part is the basic medical supplies, including masks and medical preventative clothings and goggles, because this is, again, like we already know, a super highly contagious virus that can go into your body through your eyes and nose and mouth or any openings that you might have. And so that situation continued to be a huge problem in China, because uh, just yesterday, a local government in Wuhan officially posted on their official website that the local hospitals in that region lack, you know, have run out of like medical preventative clothing and masks for frontline staff. And so when the even the local government is officially announcing this and calling for help, that just ex- revealed the extent of the fact that what we're seeing on Twitter, the, the, there's actually another news circulating that one of the biggest hospitals in Huan City, they ran out of the preventative clothing days ago and what they had to use in order to uh, uh, like save themselves is actually using trash bags, you know, in, like when you're desperate, that's what you do. You know, you use whatever that you can find around you to sort of like make something that you thought can uh, potentially like temporarily block you from being exposed directly to these virus in contagious environment. But imagine that you have to operate in an operation room with something that's made by, you know, that's not even tested or confirmed to be able to block, like save you, safeguard you from these uh, infections. That's just how dangerous and uh, desperate the situation is. And as for the everyday life in Wuhan, yes, there are continue there continue to be people already showing very obvious symptoms of uh, infection but uh, when they go went to the hospital they either would have to wait a week or more to even to just have a chest ct to see you know what's or what's the status or situation of their lung and also like being seen by a doctor so a lot of these people with without like the immediate life threatening symptoms are just being told that they had to go home and just self-quarantine but the thing is that when you're already showing symptom and you are being told to go home and without like a proper medication and everything how can you expect the virus to be uh, contained so a lot of the people continue to be very worried about like actual level of the capacity of local medical facilities to deal with the amount of the cases that are emerging and also uh, of the fact that a lot of the resources that are being sent from different provinces to Wuhan uh, were not even being distributed properly to these hospitals. There have been a very serious controversy over the last few days about the Red Cross uh, in Wuhan City. What happened is that they are the one that are in charge of collecting all the donated uh, medical supplies and redistribute it to medical facilities. But like the hospital that I mentioned, they still do not did not receive the medical preventative clothings. And when they asked the, Red, when they questioned the Red Cross, they found out that because they were not even properly being listed on the list, but that's one of the biggest hospitals in Wuhan. So when you have things like this happen, you know the local bureaucracy that are really uh, slowing down or delaying the efforts to really uh, contain the virus or trying to uh, fight against the virus in the epidemic, then you realize that this is, a systematic problem in china that has been happening over the last few decades or years that you know it's hampering the efforts to really help prevent the epidemic from ex- expanding
0: okay god there's a there's a whole bunch of things to to work through here i've i've kept some notes firstly i just want to say i, I, I think at some point we're all going to have to remember the absolute bravery of the frontline medical staff who are working in challenging conditions, who who are risking their own lives in doing this. I'm sure there's a lot going to come out about that. It appears there isn't enough frontline staff to deal with this. And this is an escalating problem. You know, we're seeing the numbers uh, escalate on a daily basis. And they are the confirmed cases and the deaths. We have the suspected cases. So I I expect there will come a point where we may have people who can't be treated, who may be stuck in their home perhaps even we have people who've even died in their home and nobody knows about it is that a potential
1: I, I i wouldn't rule that out for sure but again uh because of the medical fact about this virus is that it's less lethal than SARS, so maybe it would allow someone with a lesser symptom to be able to survive for a longer period before you know their like whole body or their health in general start to deteriorate because of the virus. But so far there hasn't really been large amount of those reports coming out of China in terms of you know pe- people being diagnosed with the infection, being told to uh, self quarantine at home, and then died from it because of these you know like deterioration of their symptoms.
0: Well yes you say it's less less lethal than SARS i think the 2.2% is the rate currently for the coronavirus i can't remember what was the actual number for SARS was it near a 10% yeah so
1: i think the, uh, the the death rate or the mortality rate of uh, SARS is definitely around 10% so the, there is still a gap and that's why some some of the medical experts are saying the world should not over hyping the potential threat that the coronavirus is posing on uh, people's actual death uh, for this time because they were saying how even some more common flus are uh, having a much higher death rate than the coronavirus at this point.
0: Yeah, see, that's a number I kind of wor- I I struggle with and worry about because uh, you said there's the potential that you know some bodies have been cremated without an autopsy, so there's a potential that the number could be higher. You know, we're talking about 300 deaths at the moment, but say there were you know 300 bodies without autopsy, that doubles the rate. Yeah. Also, is there a you know we know as there's an incubation period of up to 14 days. I don't know. They're kind of numbers that I I, I hold with a pinch of salt. Do you understand why?
1: So like what what what's tricky about this virus is that even during incubation period it's already uh, con- contagious and transmittable and also because of the fact that this, the 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 more recent cases are that are popping up right now are uh, cases without very obvious symptoms at all. So a lot of the times like the most recent case here in Taiwan is that the husband who was uh, Taiwanese businessman working in Wuhan, he was the person who brought the virus back home to his household. But his wife was the first one who had a much severe symptom and got confirmed because of the fact that uh, when he started to having symptoms, he only had like symptoms like runny nose and also some throat conditions and also cough, mi- mild coughing. So these are some, a lot of the times, going to be treated as a normal cold. And so it's only when his wife started having the more pneumonia like uh, symptoms then their household realized that maybe he is the one who brought the virus back into Taiwan. And so we are seeing actually like cases like this happening not only in Taiwan but in other parts of the world or so I'm sure like this is also happening at a large scale in throughout China, you know, of the fact that people without very obvious symptoms are being let go because they so that's what the complicated situation when it comes to containing the virus and fighting against the spread of it uh, comes in and public health experts are wor- more worried about that than the actual death rates.
0: Is there a particular demographic that are at more risk? Is it you know, young children? Is it old people? Has that been tracked?
1: So based on the number in Wuhan and also in uh, Hubei province, I think I shared a chart a couple of days ago that is basically released by the local government is that most of the cases are still people above 50, but since the new type of the symptoms, or maybe that's already a mutated strain that hasn't been confirmed yet, but since these less, uh, like cases with less symptoms popping up, then we are also seeing like infants, you know, infants of a few months old or like a four year old and also young people in their twenties are also starting to be infected. So I think the trend is now that it, it started out as a virus that are potentially risking more older people now to that anyone of any age could also contract the virus. But most of the death tolls are currently still happening to people a with a weaker immune system. Either they have other complicated medical issues, or just you know people older with a weaker immune system. So we haven't really seen anyone that are I think under forty five that have died from this epidemic yet.
0: Okay, is there any risk to the local economy here? You know, essentially with the shutdown of the business and. It feels like whole cities in quarantine. Yeah, you know, what's the actual impact on the local economy? Yeah, you know, how are people coping? How are they surviving?
1: So, what's actually happening is that, like, because China is such a huge uh, manufacturing hub around the world, so like a lot of the manufacturing or tech companies are actually worried about the impact of the. Businesses and factories being shut down and uh, suspend like the operation for, for example uh, the Biggest tech tech company here in Taiwan called Foxconn. I guess you probably heard about it yeah. uh, at, at some point. So, yeah, so Foxconn has a huge factory in Wuhan So since the outbreak they had to suspend the operation of that factory and that is actually having a big impact on their everyday the manufacturing uh, rates and also the amount of the products that they're able to roll out. And we haven't really, I, I think it will it, take time to really see the long, longer term impact at a global scale. But in China, uh, currently, it's just that everyone is being told to stay home and not go, they, they cannot go anywhere and like group gatherings are not allowed. So obviously, most of the industries in China would have been suspended and only very few, I guess, industries that allow their workers to work remotely would still be able to function at certain capacity. But even with that, I would totally imagine that this will definitely have a huge uh, impact on China's uh, economy in 2020 and also the global economy when it comes to when, when the supply chains start to be affected in a very serious way. So some of the companies here in Taiwan are already considering some alternative plans to either move their production lines elsewhere or back to Taiwan so that they can still maintain a certain level of production even you know under the current uh, situation in China of the fact that a lot of the cities in the industrial hubs are being forced to shut down and not able to function at all.
0: What about staff? Do you know staff are still being employed and still being paid? And how about access to, you know, basic foods, sanitary products, like day-to-day living. I mean, I know here I have to go shopping every few days, right? I mean, I can stock up for a week or two, but there are certain things you have to replenish. You know, our staff being repaid, how, how are people re- replenishing what they need in their house?
1: So, I think right now is that the government is uh, releasing like or distributing the everyday fresh produce that the, every household needs uh, either uh, to a like concentrated place in the local area and then asking family to send a certain number of people in the family to perform the duty of like picking up these necessities. But at the moment, so like what I've been asking my local sources in Wuhan is the fact that there's no such shortage of like the everyday needs in terms of food and also ingredients, but there continue to be a huge and a severe shortage of things like masks and disinfectants and Uh, the things that they actually need to uh, prevent themselves from contracting the virus. And that's continued to be lacking even, I mean, for all the households, because even at the frontline medical staff, they also do not have enough of these uh, supplies to really support them and protect themselves. So I think at this point, the the people can still get by, you know, when, when it comes to food and also eating and the basic functioning. But... Uh, when it comes to the more critical aspects of it, including p- preventing uh, themselves from contracting the virus, that's really highly questionable. Like how people will be able to remain uninfected, of you know, un- until like these uh, the 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 lack of the basic medical supplies are going to start infecting them a
0: lot. Okay, is there any specific information that you are trying to get hold of that you are unable to get?
1: Uh, so since the news about a uh, suspicion about the death tolls and also the so-called underground way of like processing these dead bodies and like c- came out, it's been really hard to talk to frontline medical staff and also the funeral homes in Wuhan because I think that's what the international community are more suspicious and interested to know more about. But the fact that apparently the frontline medical staff, have, a couple of them originally probably would want to come forward and share their experience working from on the frontline, have either had their family members being summoned to the local police stations or even themselves being called over to basically being told that, you know, like, it is not... Like, we, we do not want you to share like sensitive information with the world, or especially the international media. So right now, that's become the biggest challenge. And I think the other thing is just the fact that how much of the actual, you know, information about people recovered from these uh, viruses in China are you know trustworthy because as we know a lot of the times a lot of these more positive news are being created or put in in a certain way that they're not uh, being presented in the original context but in a context that fits the chinese communist party's rhetoric so i am also very suspicious about how successful they have been in terms of curing or uh, you know like confirming that people no longer has the virus in their body. So I think these are two very critical uh, pieces of information that are currently very hard to verify. And like if we were able to verify it, it would have provided the international community a much more clear picture about the whole epidemic
0: do you have any awareness of any unrest or criticism of the Communist Party at a local level? Like, is there a risk that as this escalates, that we will start to see any form of kind of protest or anger? Because, uh, you know, I know within China, a lot of people have fear about protesting against you know, right. the Communist State Party. But, you know, is are we seeing anything there, any kind of reaction to this, any, you know, anger towards how the government dealt with it so far?
1: So, so far, most of the frustration have only been expressed online, and I think people are not at the point where they think it's necessary for them to take it in a more physical way of, like, taking it to the streets, because of, I think, again, there were conditions that would convince them not to do that in terms of, you know, if they put themselves, again, in out in the public, it increases the risk of themselves contracting the virus, because, at this point, the cities, uh, especially in Hubei province, continue to be highly contagious, and so such gathering is probably considered as not ideal by most of the locals. So they tend to uh, channel their angers and frustrations online by uh, using a very subtle way of complaining about it, including the language. are very extremely subtle when it comes to like the extent that they are willing to go into criticize the chinese government so that is what we're seeing right now but it's very it, it would be interesting to like keep an eye on if this escalates into a more physical one if the chinese communist party continue to fail to really decrease the level of threat that this epidemic is imposing on the local community including the 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 ongoing and the continuation of the lockdown because i think the longer the lockdown remain there the higher the chances that people will start to be become very agitated and there would then be probably a tendency of local communities questioning the effectiveness and the purpose of the whole lockdown strategy
0: okay you're obviously A lot closer to this than most people. I assume this is a round-the-clock job for you right now. You're trying to wade your way through the various bits of information. It's kind of a broad question, but like, what's your kind of overall view on the situation now? Do you think people should be concerned? You know, how do you how do you take it all in?
1: I think people should remain very highly aware and stay on top of the latest developments, just because there is. So little that we know, actually, like, even until now, there's no confirmed, uh, I I guess, trace of transmission. Like, even the top medical experts in this field, in the infectious disease field, they don't know, like, how the virus, uh, they they cannot be very, you know, assured about, like, how the virus is being transmitted. They could only possibly tell you it could be transmitted through this way or that way, but there's no such confirmation. And so I think that's actually a very alert, uh, alarming aspect that people should continue to stay on top of the development and also the relevant news that are coming out. And be, But at the same time, I think the world, the international community should not be overly... Panicking about this because we are again already seeing some racism incidents coming popping up around the world against Mm -hmm. you know Chinese-looking people. Sometimes these are not even people from China; there are people from Japan or Korea, but because they look Asian, so they were immediately being suspected of you know coming from China and then being questioned or being unwelcomed at locals like restaurants or stores. So I think that's going to be another aspect that the world should really keep in mind is that yes this is an epidemic but the epidemic should not be the justification for any sort of very targeted discrimination against you know certain groups of people around the world so i think these are the two things that i would definitely say like from my point of view uh, the reason why people should continue to re- remain remain uh, a Engage with this topic, but at the same time, not be overly panicking over the the information that are coming out.
0: Okay, all right. Last couple of questions. How are things in Taiwan?
1: So the situation here is actually the society continue to be very highly alert, but uh, the government is in, in fact doing a pretty good job at containing the spread. So so far, there's no such a public. Uh, it, there hasn't been cases of like public you know the virus being transmitted in public events or spaces most of the cases are individuals coming back from china or with a history of traveling to china and then returning to taiwan and these cases are being immediately uh, quarantined and also isolated from the rest of the society so there hasn't been the spread at the local level which is great but medical supplies such as masks continue to be of shortage people are you know stockpiling up uh, certain things so that they are you know prepared for anything that could escalate from here
0: okay last thing you know as a journalist what do you make of what happened with zero hedge being banned from twitter uh, for sharing particular articles relating to conspiracy about whether you know this is some kind of biological accident
1: i think that's a very sensible way of doing it because Again, when we know so little about this virus and when the whole world is urgently trying to find the facts about this, what we don't need is some sort of conspiracy theory that are, again, going to stereotype a certain group of people, including the Chinese government. I mean, right now, while such conspiracy theory could potentially uh, fit certain groups of people's narratives, or portrayal of china that they preferred i don't think it is a strong enough case that will you know eventually be able to be confirmed because of again the complexity that are that lie behind this whole epidemic and also how it originated i don't think even the chinese government could really have a very clear answer or the route of the initial infection even in a few months time because of the fact that the you know like again it spread so fast and then like it it had a very murky origination so i think what the world should do is to collaborate in a very scientific and you know medical basis so that the information that are out there are not going to blur up most of the efforts that the world is trying to do to you know, like fight against this epidemic and try to get it under control.
0: Okay. Well, listen, look, thank you for everything you've done. Your Twitter feed was very helpful to me. I've I've followed you now and I will share it out in the show notes. But if anyone's listening to this and they want to follow your updates on your work, can you just tell them where to go?
1: Yes, definitely follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is William, Y-A-N-G, one, two, zero, and I basically do the update around the clock five times, six times a day. And uh, also, I am continuing to report about this in a more long form way through either media appearances or my own reporting. So, yeah, I think just make sure that I follow the Twitter handle and also, yeah, just stay on top of what's coming out from major media outlets around the world as well because basically i think this is the biggest news topic that the whole world is focusing on track, tracking right now
0: okay well listen look i appreciate your time and yeah let's stay in touch and uh, anything else particularly you think i should be aware of then please let me know but thank you for everything you've done thank you so much Thank you for listening to Defiance, one of the biggest challenges in producing content is navigating information and disinformation, and finding trusted news sources, there is always a spread of information on social media, which can range from facts to conspiracy, it is always a massive challenge, especially also as mainstream media and governments have been known to either incorrectly report news, or use it as propaganda, and this happens all over the place, it is a huge challenge. So while we do not know for certain that the Chinese Communist Party is withholding information and unreporting the numbers affected by the virus, with a track record like the CCP has of controlling news and controlling reputation, it certainly seems like it could be a possibility. Now this is something I am going to continue tracking and will update you as I get more information but I also recommend you follow William on Twitter, I've added a link to his account in the show notes. Before we close out, I do need to thank my sponsor, Kraken, the best place to buy Bitcoin. Consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange, Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin. You can find out more at kraken.com, which is K-R-A-K-E-N.com. Also, if you want to support the show, please leave me a review on iTunes or subscribe to the show, follow me on social media, or share it out with your friends and family. If you have any questions about this show or any other show I've made, please feel free to email me on peter at defiance.news.